All this month, we're asking you to tell a friend about a podcast they'll love. Right now, think of a friend, your mom, anyone you care about. What podcast would they really love? Got it? Now do it. Tell them about it in real life or on social media. And if they don't know about podcasts, show them how. Tell us what you recommended with the hashtag tripod, T-R-Y pod. Thanks for spreading the word. Now let's get into GM Street. Welcome to GM Street. I'm Tate Frazier, and I'm joined here by Mr. Mike Lombardi. Mike, how you doing, man? I'm good, Tate. How do we get music to start the thing off? Do we get any music to start off? Yeah, we need to do something like that. We need to get some people jazzed up about this there thing. There you go. That's yeah. right. You need some Springsteen or something in your life to get going. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would probably be, be since we stole the street from him, we might as well have some, some like GM Street or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Maybe he'll write a tune for us like he did Mickey Rourke and The Wrestler. Yeah, you hear that, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, Mike Lombardi needs some help. Uh, we got a lot to touch on today. We're going to hit uh, some of the quarterbacks in the draft coming up. We're going to talk about some big injuries, uh, some big picture things as far as uh, some big name guys in the league like Zeke Elliott, Cam Newton, and then just talk about uh, some minor storylines here at the end. But first off, a name that's on the list for a lot of people, a lot of people want to talk about quarterbacks, obviously, Mitch Trubisky. His mom is now calling him Mitchell Trubisky. So (laughs) to make her happy, we're going to call Mitchell Trubisky. A lot of people, we've seen him 49ers, maybe at number two. He had all teams represented at his uh, pro day for North Carolina. When you see Mitchell Trubisky, what do you think about the guy? He only played one year at North Carolina, but he did break all the single-season records for North Carolina quarterbacks. Had a great season. I enjoyed watching him play. But uh, as far as you as a scout, what do you see for Mitchell Trubisky? Well, I think when you evaluate quarterbacks, I think there, there's always the, the past performance is always going to predict future achievement. It's very difficult to think of a guy with a one-year wonder. I, I know that Ryan Tannehill was a wide receiver that got converted. But yep. when I look at quarterbacks, and I a lot of this is stolen from Bill Parcells' theory about quarterbacks, which I think is important. You know, Parcells wanted a guy who was a senior. He wanted a team captain. He wanted a three-year starter. He wanted somebody who had 23 wins. He wanted somebody who had 60% completions. He wanted somebody who had a three-to-one ratio. All those things Mitchell hasn't been able to accomplish. Yep. What concerns me most about Mitchell is he's only played six games against t- top 25 talent, mm-hmm. which is really not a lot to go by. You know, it's it's a difficult. So you're sampling into an area where you've got to ask yourself the question, why is this guy who's Mr. Ohio coming out, who's one of the most recruited kids in the country, he's not going to play. And you're down there at North Carolina. You're our North Carolina expert. He doesn't play at North Carolina. has to wait all this time to play. Now, as a scout, you can't go by the rhetoric, well, this happened or that happened. You Two things that you've got to ask yourself about Trubisky is this. He's Mr. Ohio, but he doesn't go to Ohio State. Yep. Okay? And he goes to North Carolina. He's the most recruited player that they've ever – one of the most recruited players they ever had. And he goes to a school that's fairly friendly. It isn't like he went to Ohio State and had to beat out five people. You know, the Malcolm Gladwell theory about, you know, if you go to if you're the top student in your class and you go to Harvard and you end up being 290, you feel like you haven't accomplished anything because you went to a really hard school. Well, Mitch did the op. He followed Gladwell's profile and went to a school that he should have really shined and been a a three or four year starter like a lot of guys down there. And that's what to me worries me. He doesn't meet the criteria that I set. And past performance will ultimately always predict future achievements. So if I were a team and I was and I see a lot of these ratings that have him first, I mean, look, Deshaun Watson is a true freshman, high yep. school freshman. He steps out of the junior high and goes to his high school and where they've never had a senior, never had a freshman ever play and starts for four years. And then he goes to Clemson and he dominates like at some point and he plays and he, and he starts over 30 games. He's played over 15 teams that are ranked in the top 25. Like, how could you possibly have 
Watson rated below Trubisky because the sample size is so small. Yeah, and the way that it sort of works out with the Trubisky deal is so for people that don't know this, and I don't foresee a lot of people understanding the the inner workings of Carolina football, Marquise Williams was the quarterback there for North Carolina. The team was rallying behind him. Larry Fedora, the head coach of North Carolina, basically tells Mitch Trubisky he won the job in the spring. The whole team is split over. It's a split decision because Marquise Williams the year before took Carolina their most wins in a long time in 2014. The 2015 season comes around. Fedora doesn't doesn't want to lose the team, so he sticks with Marquise Williams, the senior quarterback. And that's Trubisky came in a couple games late, had a few big plays, but he basically sits out the whole season. And then last year he plays the full 13 games. So that was pretty much the the explanation they gave. They didn't want to ruin team chemistry. But like you're saying, if you're the best guy, yeah, team chemistry is about winning, right? I mean, like I'm not Jim Rockford here, but the reality of it is, is like that's really a lame excuse. Like that's really a lame excuse. And to me, as an area scout or a director or somebody who's running a team, you have to be really nervous about that. There's something there that you're not being able to figure out. Like the guy goes to North Carolina. It isn't the quarterback institute. You know, and so remember Renner? I mean, he played. Yep, Bryn Renner. He played for, I mean, you know, they, he was one of those highly recruited kids. He came in and played. And I think that Fedora's excuse, really, and remember this about colleges, and I have no no disrespect to college. Their job is to promote their players. Yep. Their job isn't to tell the pro teams the truth. Their job is to promote their players. And if you're not smart enough to figure it out, and if you're not Jim Rockford to try to figure out the holes in it, and I think that Trubisky, I don't care what he does in his workout. Tate, Tate, the workouts for these quarterbacks are the most ridiculous thing. They're staged. Very scripted, yep. They're staged by, you know, and then you see the reports after the workout. Oh, this guy had a great workout. Well, of course he did. I went to Jake Locker's workout, and he was perfect. The ball never touched the ground. He never really made a hard throw. I mean, how'd that work out for Jake in the NFL? The, so you have to go back to the tape, and the tape doesn't really lie. I mean, there's a lot to like about Trubisky, but to me, to pick him over Watson, and I think where Watson gets a bad break, and if you go back and really analyze the numbers, I think Deshaun Watson and Jameis Winston are very similar. Yep. Very similar. And this is what happens in the draft. Guys get labels, mm-hmm. and then they forget. If you compare Winston and you compare Watson, both had some accuracy troubles. Watson turned the ball over way more. Both are very comparable in who they played against in the level of comp. I think I find it hard to believe that you would pick a guy that starts 13 games over a guy who started all those times. And not just that, uh, Mitch Trubisky comes from a spread offense. Uh, it's very wide open. Not making a lot of checks to the line, a lot of shotgun. So he's going to have to sort of address that when he gets into a pro-style system, depending on how they use him. He's already... You know, he's already getting in front of that, talking about how he's fine to work in a pro-style system. It won't be too much of a shift for him. The other guy that's his coach, his quarterback coach, is Ryan Lindley. And if, you know, you don't remember Ryan Lindley. I signed Ryan Lindley, and he was with us in in New England, and, you know, he's been around. So, yeah. So he does have a pro-style guy that's really working with him on getting used to that stuff. And so they're they're selling it. You're you're talking about selling it to these But see, that's the term that killed drives me crazy. I mean, that that sends the pro-style offense. They have two protections. They slide left, they slide right. You go to the New England Patriots, they have 15 protections. You go to any team in the league, they're going to have 20. Like, that's what kills these guys in the league is when you watch these guys in shotgun all the time, it's really just because there's four receivers on the field and you're passing the ball, that doesn't mean it's a pro-style offense. It's about the protections that make it a pro-style offense. And who's the mic and who's the will and who's blocking who and who's making all those checks and then being able to figure out where you're going to throw the ball. I, I think it's going to be hard. I think if I were a team that needed a quarterback, I would really be concerned about the and look back on Trubisky's and why he didn't play as opposed to just grandfathering him in and thinking he could fit into any system because I'm not sure he can. If Mitchell Trubisky is not your guy, right. Lombardi, 
Who is a guy on the list? Yeah, it, Mitchell Trubisky, maybe not going to be your uh, number two pick in the draft. Is there another guy behind him other than Watson? We touched on Watson last week. If you didn't hear that, please go back to the original episode, and we really hit on Watson pretty hard. But is there another guy that you see that you're like, I, I, maybe in the Dak Prescott vein where it's like a fourth, fifth-round guy, you see a lot of upside, you see a lot of potential in them that you really want to take a chance on but maybe don't want to take a chance on them so early in the draft? You know, it's, this is an interesting quarterback class because there's a lot of guys that are taking spots from somebody else. Okay, mm-hmm. so Davis Webb's at Texas Tech. Patrick Mahomes beats him out. He goes to Cal and plays. Yep. Uh, the kid that I like is Nathan P- Peterman, mm-hmm. who's at from Pittsburgh. Who's at Pittsburgh, but he goes to Tennessee. Joshua Dodds beats him out, or whatever happens at that school, and then he goes to Pitt. He plays under center. Okay, he plays in a lot of games. He wins a lot of games for Pitt. He plays effectively. He plays under center. He makes a lot of throws. Like I could see him. For me, I could see him running Kyle Shanahan's offense offense really effectively. Mm-hmm. I think he would do I think he is a lot like Kirk Cousins. I think he's being underlooked. I think he's being undervalued. I think he brings a lot of a lot of talent to the team. He's 16 and 10 as a starter. He's got intelligence. He can move a little bit. I think to me, he's an undervalued player. Kaiser from Notre Dame, to me, I don't see this one at all. Like, I see some people have him as the number one rated quarterback in the draft. Like, at some point, winning matters for quarterbacks. Okay. Like, and it isn't like you're too young to remember this baseball player, Phil Negro. Phil Negro used to win 20 games, but he lose 20. Yeah. Like, okay. (laughs) Like, you know, because he was a knuckleball, he could throw every other day. Right. Like, that doesn't count. Like, at some point, you got to win games to play quarter. If you're a great quarterback, your team's going to be great. Like, don't tell me you're not a great quarterback and your team stinks. Like, that bothers me. Now, I get Patrick Mahomes because I think that that offense and their defense at Texas Tech is so bad, I'm not sure you can control that. But I think, to me, my sleeper is Nathan Peterman. I have a sleeper, too, that I want to throw out there, and you're talking about guys that win in college. Gerard Evans comes in uh, for Virginia Tech. His one year of playing college football, he takes him to a coastal crown. He really leads He leads Virginia Tech to 10-4 and four on the season. Got a big frame. He's like 6'3", 6'4", kid. Got a big arm. Doesn't have a lot of tape And what we were talking right. about, the same vein as Trubisky, but... He's another guy that could be fourth, fifth round that we're seeing on a lot of lists that could be in the, you know, a guy like Dak Prescott that's late in the draft and maybe gets a chance to do something. Right. But remember now, Dak Prescott was a really productive player coming out. Okay. He played, he he fit Parcells' criteria. Go back and look at Dak Prescott. He fit all those criteria. Yeah. He put Dan Mullen and Mississippi State on another level. He put him on another level. So to me, like, I think that's really what you're looking for. And, and I believe this. I think when you're trying to – there's an intangible that comes with quarterbacks, and it's it's that ability to lead your team. That's why the whole Larry Fedora crap about Mitch, about, well, he didn't want to lose his team. The way you lose your team is to play the guy that nobody thinks you could play, should be playing. Winning helps you create your team. So I, I think, to me, you got to look at the numbers on the quarterbacks, and you got to – winning really matters. And so – that's why I don't like Kaiser. That's why I have a hard time looking at him as the number one. I think the other thing is, and you see this too, the Saints are really spending a lot of time working out quarterbacks. Yep. I think it, the Saints are going to draft a quarterback, maybe not with their two picks in the first round if, they, in fact, they keep those two picks. But I think in the second round they will because I think Sean Payton realizes that you have to find the guy to replace Breeze at least two years ahead, and I think this would be a draft to do it. Everybody says, you know, Tate, you hear this all the time, this is not a quarterback draft. He used to drive Bill Walsh crazy. You know, all the scouts will say it's a bad draft. Walsh would go insane because all you have to do is find the one player. Yep. Was it a bad quarterback draft last year for the Cowboys? I don't think it was. The key is to find what you want and then to make that work. That all makes sense. Uh, but the Saints, you know, they'll have a chance. They're working out a bunch of guys. And uh, Chase Daniel, they've they've had success uh, developing some guys behind the eight ball. But uh, 
Let's talk about another guy in the draft that a lot of people are talking about as a first-round talent. Uh, another Peppers is coming to the NFL. <laughs> Jabril Peppers. You're just, uh, you're just trying to piss me off today, Tate. <laughs> you really are. Jabril Peppers, obviously, uh, was a big big recruit, uh, went to Michigan, claimed he wanted to be the next Charles Woodson. That didn't quite work out at Michigan. He was at the tri- uh, Heisman uh, ceremony. Um, a lot of people are already jumping on, on to say Jabril Peppers is going to be some defensive star. He's going to be a first-round pick. He's got a lot of talent. You, Mike Lombardi, are not as sold on Jabril Peppers. Can you tell me why? Well, it's pretty easy. I mean, you have to grade what you see. Yep. You have to watch it. Okay, so here he is. He's a, he's a kid who's highly recruited, which is great. I, look, I, I go back and check all those five-star kids. I keep I pay attention to it because I do believe from the Al Davis uh, Academy of Scouting that pedigree matters. Yeah. And I think that you know when you have a pedigree like this kid has, you have to pay attention. But at some point, you have to perform on the field. And there's no position for him to play. He's not a strong safety, and here's why. He's too small to line up. If you want to be a strong safety, people, and I read this, well, you know, he could be a cover three in the box safety. Well, if you want to be a cover three in the box safety, like Cam Chancellor is, mm-hmm. you got to defend the B gap. And yep. if you want to take the B gap on in a run game, you got to be a man. I mean, you got to be a real man. And that ain't Peppers, okay? Mm-hmm. He gets touched or blocked by any of those big guys in the line, and he's out of there. So he's not a backer. He's not a safety. He can't play corner. And if you really watch the tape very closely, Tate, they hide him. Yep. Like Michigan is telling you on the tape, they don't think he's very good. Michigan is telling you they're hiding him. They blitz him. They run him. Here's a kid who's supposed to be a playmaker. He wants to be the next Charles Woodson. He has one interception in his career, and he's broken 10 passes up. That ain't Woodson-like, okay? So if you just grade what you see, and what you see is a defense that's really good, that has a lot of good players on it, but they cover up for the inability of Peppers because they almost feel like they're playing Peppers because they have to, not because they want to. And so for me, how can that guy be a first-round player? I respect his ability as a returner, but if he doesn't have a position in college, where is he going to play in pro football? And the way that he's – yeah, who knows. But a lot of the way that he's described to people is a Swiss Army knife, and usually those guys are quote-unquote athletes in college – he hasn't quite found a position, and if you don't have a position, then that means that someone's going to have to cater their defense towards him. And you're basically well, saying that he doesn't have. He doesn't it's have not a position to cater. It, yeah, he doesn't yeah. have a position. He doesn't do any. He doesn't do anything to make you other than the media making him out to be a first round player. Yeah. He's got no chance to be a first round player. There's nothing he does that says I'm a first round talent. I don't care if he runs four four t- tomorrow at the at the Michigan Pro Day. That's irrelevant. It's on the field. His performance as a football player. He's not a linebacker. He's not Mark Barron. He's going to be the will backer. Yeah. Yep. Okay, he doesn't make enough plays in there. He's too small to blitz. He can't handle the run. All right, he can't play in the high part of the field because he's limited in terms of there. They moved him down. Anytime a college is moving you closer to the football, what are they telling you? you you're not athletic enough. Yep. You're not. You can't play in space. And really, Delano Hall, 44, the the, the, the safety, is a better player, mm-hmm. doesn't get near the recognition, but they utilize his skill set way more. So to me, when you're watching college tape and you're studying college tape, you have to study the players and the scheme, and the two things come together. So what you do is you learn about the player from what they think of them. The team that knows them the best is Michigan. Yep. And the way Michigan uses them is the way they're telling you what they think of them. And for me, they're telling you we're hiding them. And he was the conference linebacker of the year in the Big Ten. Just 72 tackles, 16 for loss, four sacks, one interception last season, but uh, was up for Heisman contention. But never blocked. I mean, that's yep. the thing. is Look, he's the will linebacker in the defense. 
So he's got free access to the ball. I mean, this ain't Luke Keekley now. Yep. I mean, this is not like a guy, you know, like if he gets blocked or touched by a guard, he's getting he's going to get pounded away. If he has free access to make a play, good. Look, and I'm not trying to kill the kid, but if Michigan can't find a place for him, then why would you draft a utility infielder? It's like it's a little bit like Tavon Austin. It's like having mm-hmm. this expensive watch, right? And then every time you want to look for the time, you look at your phone. Yeah. Right? Like it doesn't make any sense. Right? So to me, I think to me, whenever I see Peppers and, you know, these whole mock draft things are, you know, when I was in the league and people would say, help me out with my mock, they call you up. Whenever you see a guy, whenever they give you a name and you don't have to reveal one of the names you like and you can keep a name in there, it's like having a lame horse in the race. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Peppers, who's going to go in the first? Everybody has them in the first. It just keeps getting repeated. Meanwhile, you don't have to give up the name of the player you really like who's going to go in the first. And remember this, there's only there's only probably going to be about 15 to 16, maybe 20 first-round grades by most teams. And there's no way Peppers would have a first-round grade by any team in the league. When you think of a guy like Peppers, if he doesn't quite have the physical stuff to go go along in a position or doesn't have a specific position, then people will say, well, he has instincts. He has good ball uh He ball does skills. have instincts, Tate. Yeah. He has instincts, but he has the ball in his hands. Like yeah. his mama, when his mama took him from his crib, he was a running back. He wasn't a defensive back. He can't react. And he's what I call a card player. Okay, so here's what a card player is. A card player is when you hold up the card at practice. The, the card tells them where to go. Mm-hmm. So what takes away the risk, it takes away trying to read run or pass. It takes away trying to decide what the play is. You know you're going to the right. You know you're going to the left because the card's telling you this. Okay? And for me, Peppers is a card player. All that speed that he has, it's really based on when somebody points him in a direction. The time he excels athletically is when he has the ball in his hand as a returner. And, and to me, that's great, but that isn't a first-round talent. One man that was a first-round talent. Uh, we're going to switch this up and, and move on. Uh, Mr. Cam Newton, yeah. uh, the number one draft pick your, in the, 20, yeah, the 2011 draft. Uh, Ron Rivera was out in the world saying that, one, he wanted to protect Cam Newton next year, didn't want him to run as much. He wanted to get that offensive line set and ready. He also said that Cam Newton was not going to need surgery. And now we find out that Cam Newton is going to need surgery. Uh, he's a torn rotator cuff. A lot of people think it, it was suffered week 14 against San Diego, uh, and it only got worse as the season went on. Cam Newton now going to have to have surgery, won't be back until they're saying like late July, maybe to be able to throw a football again. The good news is that last year when he hurt his ankle, he couldn't stay in shape, wasn't able to condition. This year, he'll be able to stay conditioned uh, throughout all that. When you hear about Cam Newton having to go into surgery, this will be back-to-back years he's had off-season surgery. Does the, do the Panthers really need to worry about protecting this guy? I think they do. I think I, I think they really need to. Now, I don't know. Matt Khalil is going to be the guy that's going to protect him. I mean, yeah, to me, I would be nervous. Maybe that's you know that's a concern at left tackle. But I, I do think that the Panthers know that he's not going to be able to keep going through offseason surgeries. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the reality here is we have to redesign the team. And yeah. I think this, this surgery is going to lead them into making decisions on the draft, making decisions on how they set up their offense. Because now that he's had this, and, and we don't know how severe this surgery is going to be. But now I think what you're going to see is we talked about it in 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 how to fix the Panthers is stop running Cam. Well, I think this is going to make them to stop running. I, I wouldn't be surprised. To me, this signifies that I think they know they're going to need to get a running game behind them. And the best way to really protect Cam is to take the ball away from him in the running game. And it can't be with Jonathan Stewart because he's hurt all the time. Yep. So for me, I think when you look at their team, I think if they had a chance to draft a legitimate big-time running back, that probably would help them a lot. And I think Cam needs to understand that 
you can't have off-season surgery every year and expect to maintain the level of performance because last year he slipped, and maybe it was because of the off-season surgery, maybe because he couldn't train as much. Off-seasons are more important to players as you get older than big people think, and I think when you have these surgeries, it really sets you back. And you mentioned Matt Khalil. Matt Khalil signed from the Vikings. His right. brother, Ryan Khalil, is obviously the Pro Bowl center on the Panthers. Ryan Khalil has said a lot of good things about Matt Khalil, thinks that he's going to do well and uh, protect Cam, maybe make next year a little easier for him. And a lot of people are talking about Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cooks, some of being those guys at the the eighth pick for the Panthers. So it could be a good thing, uh, maybe a blessing in disguise to have this come up and right. the Panthers do. But remember this, you always when you when you evaluate teams in the draft, you always have to go to the GM and what his background is. And Dave Gettleman's a size speed guy from the Giants school. So that's what's going to lead them in the first round. Typically they're going to be offensive or defensive linemen. I don't know if there'll be an offensive lineman worthwhile to pick there. But yep. to me Cam Robinson maybe if he's there. If somebody picks him there, or, you know, it could be, but I think what the reality is is that's always going to tell you what the team does. Forget the need. And maybe it's because Fortnite it could be a great player. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll take the running back. But to me, Gettleman's always about size, speed, and the two defensive line, two offensive and defensive lines. Yep, which he is uh kind of stuck to that over the past few years. Uh Let's get into another guy that was a first-round pick, uh, Zeke Elliott from yeah. last season of the Dallas Cowboys, taken fourth overall, NFL Rookie of the Year, pretty much took the NFL by storm uh, alongside Dak. He's had quite uh, an offseason, had a great great uh, season on the field. Now in the offseason, he's sort of acting out a little bit. There's been a lot of people commenting on it, saying that we need to get this guy in line. The Cowboys need to do something to address it. Uh, what do you see from Zeke, and how do you get him back on the right path? Well, I think that to me, I think when you look at Zeke, I think you know all the stories you hear, too much going to Vegas, too much party in Vegas, too much gambling in Vegas, you know, losing this, losing that. I, I think the reality here for the Cowboys is in, it, they have to get Zeke under control. Mm-hmm. The offseason is important. I think success is the hardest thing to endure in sports. And if you don't have an appetite for more success, you'll take a step back. And if the Cowboys don't be proactive, proactive with Zeke right here, they're gonna the guy's going to waste a potentially tremendous career. He's a unique player. And I think the most important thing the Cowboys can do this offseason, since they're not moving Tony Romo and they're not moving very quickly on that decision, is to get to Zeke. His agents don't really have the control over him, but somebody needs to get to the kid and really have a come-to-Jesus meeting with him and say, look, it's most important for you to train and improve and build on your success than to just stay out here and party and and hurt your reputation. He still hasn't been cleared of the domestic violence or the the assault charge. He hasn't really – the league hasn't issued that. We saw the St. Paddy's Day parade there. That's yep. still going to come up. So I, I think in the in the interest for the Cowboys, they have to be proactive in this situation, and they've got to take Zeke and really force him into becoming a more mature player off the field and keep him out of Vegas and keep him out of all that party scene. Yeah, Marcus Spears coming out saying that he just needs to quote unquote stop being dumb, man. You know, yeah. there, there's, there's been a lot of people within the Cowboys brass well, that are trying to it. speak out him through the media, right? And they know that, the, and they know there's not a lot of people that can control it. They know that the agents don't really have control over him, and I think that they're asking for help. And somebody with authority's got to have it. I mean, Jerry's got to have the ability to go talk to him. And who's the guy in the locker room, right? So Romo's obviously not the guy that's going to be the leader anymore like he was before. Jason Witten maybe has passed his time there. Right. Dak is a young guy just like Ezekiel, so maybe he doesn't have the same weight. Right. And, uh, and he's, like, he's yeah. had so much success, he's above the locker room now. Now he's on his own. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be peer pressure, and it's got to be the owner, and it's got to be an effect. That's why you hope that sometimes the agents can have an effect, but clearly they can't. So Lombardi, let's wrap this up. Yep. Let's do some uh, quick storylines uh, before we head out of here. 
first things first, Robert Aguayo, the kicker for the Tampa right. Bay Buccaneers, a guy they traded up for last year, had a really, really tough season, missed a lot of big kicks. They bring in Nick Falk uh, to, you know, the former Jets kicker to sort of like give him someone to push behind him. The GM for the Bucks comes out and says uh, Aguayo was not very good last year, just basically sending the message right. to him. What does this mean for the Buccaneers? Right, and then they guaranteed 750 of Falk's contract. Yep. And what fans don't understand is that's really kind of a gratuitous thing. Nick Falk is going to kick somewhere next year. It might be for the Bucks. It might be for the Panthers. It might be mm-hmm. for the 49ers. So that guarantee of 750 will offset no matter where he goes. So it's almost like they're sending a message to, to uh, Agreo to make sure that he knows that there's competition. And Folk knows that he's got a guaranteed protection for the league in the year. And it's really going to end up being no offset for the Bucks if he makes the team great. If he doesn't make the team, somebody else will pay the seven fifty, and the Bucks are off the hook. And the funniest thing about that story, and we'll move on from here, is that uh, Nick Folk said he would be sharing, quote unquote, sharing no secrets with Robert Aguayo. So. Well, yeah, I think that's good. I think he's a competition. I mean, he's got Aguayo's got to know that. Hey, man, it's time to do it. Yep. Uh, another thing, NFL comes out. Roger Goodell announces all the rule changes. Says he wants to speed up the game. Says he wants to make it more watchable. Uh, he wants to player safety is a big issue. Yeah. They ban people from jumping over the line to block kicks. Um, were there any big rule changes that you saw that really affected the league in a, in a major way? No, I, I don't. I think speeding up the game is a good thing. I think speeding up the game, speeding up the timeouts, speeding up the uh, instant replay stuff. I mm-hmm. think if they did control the instant replay more in New York City, it would be beneficial because they could see it quicker. The referee wouldn't have to go over. An example of that is like in the NBA there in Secaucus, New Jersey. Right. And like central headquarters is making right. like, the call. There's nothing the wrong with it yeah. not having to be. The technology allows it to be in New York City. And if you have somebody looking at it all the time quicker – I think the game's got to go with more of a flow. I think anything we could do to help the game. Look, I know the league's obsessed with sock height and making sure all everybody's socks are pulled up <laughs> and the celebrations. I think it should be really about football. Uh, and last story of the day, Brandon Williams, nose tackle for the Baltimore Ravens. He signs a five-year deal uh, worth $54 million. When that happens, what does that mean? Uh, what's the domino effect for that uh, defensive line for the Baltimore Ravens? Well, I think you got to look at this just like the Malcolm Butler situation in New England. Okay, mm-hmm. they give Gilmore all that money. Okay, is Butler available? I think Timmy Jernigan, Jernigan is the next guy. Jernigan's yep. going to command a huge salary. He's really one of their best defensive linemen. Does Ozzie Newsom want to trade him, or does Ozzie Newsom feel like he can sign him? He can't get him signed. Does Ozzie trade him now for, say, like a third or a fourth round pick as opposed to waiting for the compensatory? Or does he just hold on to him and play him for one year? I hear they're talking about moving Jernigan. I think Jernigan's a fabulous player, but yep. they can't afford to sign him. So if you're a team like Jacksonville and and you can know you can afford him, to me, why not give up a third or fourth round pick for Jernigan and get another defensive lineman and do it before free agency and keep the kid? I think that's really would be something good. And Tim Jernigan is a big catalyst for the Florida State National Championship team who went back to Florida. I'm sure the fans would be very excited about right. that. Uh, Lombardi, this has been a great episode of GM I'm, Street. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm excited for your North Carolina Tar Heels this week. I, I was worried about you last week. I thought you were going to lose. I was going to lose you. Yeah, I almost had a panic attack, but uh, it's good to talk about football <laughs> and keep my, keep my mind away from all that stuff. Uh, We'll be back next week. More GM Street, more football storylines, and uh, more Mike Lombardi. Thanks, Tate. 